Romans chapter 14, and I'll read verses 20, and then we'll go across to chapter 15, and I'll read through verse 7. And this section of Scripture very much continues uh, what we started last week, which was moving towards the end of Romans, where we're dealing with a lot of relational issues that were taking place in the church. And though we're thousands of years removed from the ancient church in Rome, you can see the theme of really bringing people together who have differing beliefs about opinions and non-essentials. These are the weak and the strong brothers. And so this passage deals with, like last week, our scruples and how we get along with people when we don't believe the same on the non-essentials, and how we can experience unity as a church in that setting of diversity. So, follow along with me now, and I'll read Romans 14, beginning in verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray together. O Lord, how we want and desire Trinity to be a place where we live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Show us how to do that. We pray that you indeed would be glorified and that Jesus would be be proclaimed as the way, the truth, and the life. And we pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. I have one area of my lawn, only one, that really grows great grass, really grows great grass. I mean, the soil is right, the elevation is just right to get the drainage going, the coverage of the sprinklers, the amount of sunlight, and a little shade kind of towards the end of the day. Do you have a place in your lawn that's like that? It's the place you wish you could clone and multiply Uh, throughout your yard, but this one place just has the right set. You know, the grass grows so thick, 
I have a battery-operated mower. Um, yeah, I don't use it for that part. And in fact, I didn't even get it out of the garage last season. I have to use the old internal combustion mower to get through that thick grass. And I tell you about that area in my lawn that just has the right setting to say, what if the church was like that? What if the church was this atmosphere where you had the right soil, the right sunlight, the right amount of water, and everyone grew and flourished? What if the church was a place, instead of conflict, instead of politics, it was a place we could all flourish and grow spiritually? That is the intention that God has for his bride, the church, that the church would be a place you and I would grow tremendously spiritually, a community where spiritual growth mysteriously happens. You join this community and somehow you look back on your life and after year and year of attendance and being at this church, you simply have grown tremendously spiritually. It's a mystery how God causes the growth, but He does, and He does so best in an environment where people are able in wisdom to differentiate between a good idea and a spiritual, scriptural mandate. The atmosphere for that kind of good growth to happen is something we all contribute to by how we carry our beliefs with respect to the non-essentials of the faith. It's the non-essentials of the faith that will trip us up. It isn't the essentials of the faith that will trip us up. Uh, not in a, If you know anything about PCA, our denomination, PCA polity, uh, it will not be the uh, disagreement over the essentials. What, what I mean by the essentials of the Christian faith? I mean, what, it, what, you, what is necessary for you to believe to be a Christian? What makes you a Christian? Apostles' creed kind of beliefs. That is not something this church will have a conflict over. We believe Jesus is the only way. We believe in the virgin birth. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, then the nature of who Christ is changes. So you have to have the virgin birth. You have to have Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal with God. You've got to have the inerrant word inspired by God. If you don't have the inerrant word, then you can't believe anything theologically. That is true. And so these essential beliefs or something we agree on. And maybe, as I mentioned last week, you're in process on agreeing with those, and that's okay, you're in the right place. But we're not going to disagree, we're not going to have conflict over what is essential to the Christian faith. No, in a church like this one, we have conflict over the non-essentials. Non-essentials are what trip us up. And the Apostle Paul uses the language, we introduced it last week, in chapter 14, verse 1, you see a contrast there between the weak in faith and the strong. And we talked about the weak in the faith have a narrower conviction. 
the strong have a higher degree of Christian liberty, what God uh, permits us to do, say, believe with respect to uh, his commands. So this does, uh, the issue of conscience enters into uh, this situation. And we must, kind of the main point here is we must, as God's people, carry our non-essential beliefs in such a way that we propel the faith forward of those who are around us, those who are around us. So the atmosphere for good Christian growth to happen in the church requires something from us carrying our non-essential beliefs in such a way that we build others up. So that's what we're going to look at today. How do you do this? How do you do this? I'll give you an example real quick. Um, and this is something I just noticed. You know, there's quite a controversy over whether people watch the Olympics or not. And that's because China is guilty of a genocide against the Uyghur Muslim population. And uh, you can read that in the news. So, so some Christians will not watch as a statement of being against the communist regime in China that's committing genocide. And then some people are going to say, well, I can't do anything about that. I just want to watch some good sports. And so there's a diversity of opinion over this issue, but it's not one that makes a person a better Christian or they're a worse Christian in, uh, in this case. So that's an example of a controversial issue um, with respect to the weaker, stronger brother and so we're going to look, how do you manage these situations so that we contribute to a good atmosphere of spiritual growth where Christians believe differently about issues? So let's look first at God's work is more important than your freedom, than your freedom or my freedom. Look at this in verse 12, uh, excuse me, verse 20. We read this, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Now, last week we looked at two areas that Christians have an intramural debate over. Uh, in the ancient world, there in the Roman church, they debated over diet. So think dietary restrictions, think people who were Jewish leaving and becoming Christians and no longer being in this division of clean and unclean foods. So, because Jesus declared all foods clean, Mark 7, because of what happened in Acts chapter 10, there were some Christians who said, well, you can eat anything now. Other Christians were coming out of Judaism, had eaten a certain way all their life, and maintained their dietary restrictions, even though it wasn't something that was required by them. And the point here is, Whatever you believe with regards to clean and unclean food, verse 20, don't destroy the work of God. In other words, God's work is to grow people spiritually, and by the way we carry our convictions, we can injure other people's spiritual growth. Look at verse uh, 19. So the verse, I, I didn't read it. We covered this last week. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Peace and mutual upbuilding means that I have a right 
to believe the way I want to with regard, it's still a free country last time I checked, with regard to watching the Olympics or not. You are free to have your conviction about that. However, the way I hold that conviction should, verse 19, pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. What's in contrast to mutual upbuilding, look in verse 20, destroying the work of God. In other words, tearing it down. And my point in telling you this is you have a right to believe the way you believe about non-essential issues. However, the way we communicate with people, the way we maybe debate those issues can really contribute to tearing down what God has built up because we're not being sensitive, we're not being tender, we're not being merciful to those who disagree with us. Look at verse 20 then. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So the exercise of our Christian liberty should not be the cause of another person stumbling in their faith. It's true to the extent, look at verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Can you imagine being in a church where we are so concerned for how other people are doing spiritually that we are willing to reduce the exercise of our own freedom? Verse 22, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Well, what does this mean? It doesn't mean we shouldn't do evangelism. That would be inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. But the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. In other words, the convictions you have on this issue, you don't need to be talking to people about it. Keep it between yourself and God. You don't have to convince other people to believe the way you believe on these non-essential issues. Look at the rest of verse 22. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on, on himself for what he approves. In other words, we should be solid and settled in our conviction with regard to non-essential matters. But it doesn't mean you have to go around talking to everyone and trying to convince them of that. Uh, Verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is a good definition of sin. Whatever isn't motivated by faith, it takes us all the way back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Our experience of the mercies of God create in us the motivation to be a living sacrifice. And so, whatever doesn't proceed from this idea of having experienced God's mercy is sin. And so, in these areas of conscience, we should be fully convinced that the experience of the mercies of God is what leads us to the actions that we are undertaking. And so, just to round this out, yes, you have a right to believe the way you believe. 
on these non-essential matters. I'm talking about uh, worship style. I'm talking about preaching style. I'm talking about uh, the denomination you belong to, if it's a Bible-preaching, gospel-preaching church. I'm talking about mode of baptism. I'm talking about important issues, but these are issues Christians disagree about. And so the way we hold our convictions should contribute to peace and mutual upbuilding. A lot of maturity required on our part for that to happen. Maturity enough to say, I won't try to convince that person of my belief if this is going to cause them to stumble. I won't exercise actions based on that belief if it will spiritually hurt another because we should be concerned for the mutual upbuilding of others. I'll give you an example of this happening. Uh, I was in a church, this is more than 25 years ago, so the uh, statute of limitations has passed, and I can tell this story. Listen to a sermon on Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Now, I still remember this sermon, and I'll tell you why. The question is asked in that passage of Scripture, uh, Cain articulates it, am I my brother's keeper? And the pastor was making the point that, yes, you are your brother's keeper. And he used a word that describes a concrete structure that holds back a river in answering this. He was very passionate, very emphatic. You tracking with me? We're G-rated here but you're tracking with me. And so he used this word. He should not have used that word. And people were up in arms about it. They were more concerned that he used that word than the actual biblical injunction that we should be our brother's keeper. And it led to a little bit of a tempest in a teacup, And the next Sunday, he apologized publicly. Of course, the pulpit shouldn't be a place where that language is used. And he apologized for it, but, you know, some people could not let it go. They could not let it go. They had their convictions about things. They wouldn't let it go. They wouldn't extend mercy. They wouldn't extend forgiveness. And they ended up leaving the church. Over, over that, over a pastor making a mistake. And yes, he shouldn't have used that language. And they left the church. And, you know, I think they missed out on really the best days of the church because the best days of the church were yet to come. And the church continued to grow, thrive, and never look back after that mistake. And the pastor learned something important. You see, when we come down so hard on people, we take away the opportunity they have to learn, to change. Our interaction with others provides opportunity for people to grow, people to mature, people to be built up spiritually. The important thing is, where do you locate holiness? You see, in Protestant Christianity and in our church, 
Holiness is something that is imputed or given to us by virtue of the perfect life Christ lived and his sacrifice for our sin. We are justified, declared righteous, not because of what we do, not because of our behavior. Our holy behavior flows from the declaration that we are holy and righteous. But some people confuse that, and they confuse one errant word, one sinful word, with holiness. And that led them to depart the church. And so it's important for us to carry our convictions about non-essentials in healthy, mature, and life-giving ways. And this has to do with what you believe about COVID. This is what has uh, wrecked the unity of our country and what you believe about politics. These are non-essentials. And yet they have fractured our society because our society refuses to carry them in ways that are life-giving. We're called to more as Christians. We're called to, yes, have your convictions. Verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. You know, we should occasionally ask ourselves, is someone really interested in my view on this non-essential, whatever that might be? You know, that's kind of like talking about your workout. Nobody's really interested in that. (laughs) It's kind of like, talking about your diet. Nobody's really interested in that. And so our primary interest is let's create an environment here at Trinity where we're all growing spiritually and we're all, there's peace. Look at verse 19. And mutual upbuilding. Even though our society goes off the rails and is ready to go to war, over certain tertiary beliefs, we're the ones that come along and create an environment of peace and mutual upbuilding that everyone could grow spiritually. And that may mean I don't get to talk about whatever non-essential issue. Might mean I just have to zip it. Might mean I'm not going to eat barbecue, verse 21. Or drink wine or do anything that causes a brother to stumble. Notice the language here, brother, fellow Christian. That we value the spiritual good of another over and above our freedom. Oh, that's the biblical picture here. So, God's work, we don't want to tear it down. It's more important than our freedom So we might be required to have our freedom impinged on but for the spiritual good of another. And then look at this. Uh, Next point here is in chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Live in harmony with one another. You know, in a world where everyone has an opinion, everyone has an opinion, how can this work where we can be in harmony with each other? I mean, we enjoy 
as your pastor, I can tell you this. I enjoy good relationships and good unity in our church community. How do we maintain it? How do we build it up? Look at, verse 15, look at uh, chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. We who are strong. You got a strong opinion about who should be president? Now I got your attention. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Not to please ourselves. The concern for this mutual upbuilding drives us to hold our beliefs about non-essentials in such a way that we bear with the failings of the weak. Let each of us, verse 2, please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That goes back to verse 19. What makes for peace and mutual upbuilding? So chapter 15, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, to do the things necessary and to conduct ourselves with an eye towards building others up spiritually. And you know what? This is the pattern of Christ. This is what Jesus did. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What's going on here? Paul's quoting Psalm 69, a psalm of David here. And David is saying that because of his relationship with God, because of his close association with God, that when people insult God, they, those reproaches, those insults fall on David too. He is mistreated. He was mistreated in part because of his relationship with God. And so Christ fully fulfills this because he was mistreated for our sake, becoming so closely associated with our sinful state that he takes on our sin without actually committing a sin. And the reproaches due to us for sin fall on him. This is his pattern. He did that which the Father called him to do perfectly, and he did it not for his own sake, not for his own health, not for his own benefit, but he did it for our benefit. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, when, we, when the weak and the strong get, get along well together, there is love and there is hope and it requires perseverance. Oh, Lord, I have to deal with these people. But then we remember Christ dealt with us. And so it is through endurance, going all the way to the end, and through the encouragement of the Scriptures that we have hope. And then Paul ends here with a benediction May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Now, this is important because the harmony that we're supposed to live with one another in 
is in accord, at the end of verse 5, in accord with Christ Jesus. This is not a compromising harmony. In other words, you believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe all ways to God are equal. That is in harmony because it's not in accord with Christ Jesus. So the harmony here is in accord with Christ Jesus, meaning consistent with knowing the Savior, walking with Him. Because sometimes we try to experience unity by getting rid of every conviction. And that is not possible here with verse 5. The harmony is in accord with Christ Jesus. What purpose is our harmony? That we would just be nice to each other and and get along? Look at verse 6. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That together we would express worship to God. That we would be together. That people would come in here and they would say, okay, I know this person from the community. I know that person from the community. And they're on opposite ends of the spectrum with whatever non-essential issue you want to think of. And here they are with one voice glorifying God because Jesus is better. And he is more important than any of our non-essential issues. And we glorify God together, even though we believe differently on the tertiary issues, the secondary and the tertiary issues. We, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we are able to do that because we look past the minor differences and we major on the majors and we understand that our life is not our own, that our life is to be given away in the pattern and example of Jesus Christ for the good, for the benefit of another, just as he went to the cross for us. So we are willing to die daily for the spiritual good and mutual upbuilding of others. And this requires, verse 7 Hospitality, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You know, the way we are welcomed by Christ was not with a checklist. Do we meet the criteria? Okay, Jesus will save us then. No, while we are yet sinners... Christ died for the ungodly. This kind of welcome is not a, well, tell me what you think about what's going on in China, and then I'm going to decide if we're going to be friends. Tell me who you voted for, give me some sign or signal, and then I'll, then we can get along. Tell me what you believe about vaccines or COVID, and then I'll decide whether we can be friends, whether we can get along with each other in the church, that has no place. And it's time for God's people to push back on this polarized world and say with one voice, we will worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will welcome one another without condition 
as Jesus has welcomed us all for the glory of God. This is what matters more than our beliefs about secondary and tertiary things. With one voice, we glorify God, carrying our convictions and our matters of conscience in such a way that it works for peace and mutual upbuilding. This is the vision that God has for his church. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you would continue to build on and foster the unity we have here at Trinity and the relationships we have, that we would not trip over that which is not important in the ultimate sense, that though we believe strongly about different tertiary and secondary issues, we together as your people would major on the majors. Help us in this. Give us wisdom and discernment to do that, that each one here would grow spiritually and that we would be for each other's mutual upbuilding and that we would welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. All for your glory we ask in Christ's name. Amen.